tombstone. Crime ruled the streets. Violence stalked the innocent. And every stranger was your enemy. Until Wyatt Earp and his brothers arrived. And now, all hell is about to break loose. Russell, Val Kilmer, Bill Paxton, Jason Priestley, Sam Elliott, Dana Delaney, Michael Bean, Powers Booth, Charlton Heston. You gonna do something or just stand there and bleed? Justice is coming to Tombstone. Welcome to No Escape from Kurt Russell on the Ciscoid Cinema Feed, the show that explores the filmography of Kurt Russell and his mystique. I'm Ciscoid. A long time ago, blogger Dave Campbell coined the Kurt Russell factor to explain why there are performers who we will gladly see anything they're in, regardless of the movie's synopsis. Because Kurt Russell is that guy. Uh, we'll test out this theory film by film, starting with Tombstone. A Western in the 90s? The upteenth retelling of the gunfight at the Oki Corral? Yeah, but Kurt Russell is in it. So to help me discuss this film is Supermate Chris Franklin, who has kindly agreed to be my huckleberry on the inaugural episode of No Escape from Kurt Russell. Hi, Chris. And hell's coming with me, you hear? <laughs> hell's coming with me! There's so many great lines in this movie. Like a couple years ago when I thought of doing this show... I asked around my, you know, to my podcasting friends, you know, what movies would you pick? And you immediately went for Tombstone. I think you're the first person to answer. It's like nobody's going to steal Tombstone from me. That's right. <laughs> yeah, because my the, the reason why is my college roommate bought a copy of this as soon as it came out. Like if it, this movie came out in 93, like in 94, he bought a, a VHS copy of this and him and our other two friends, who we basically had two dorms, but we were all four roommates together, basically. We watched it every single day. I mean, it was just, oh, wow. it was just in the VCR, and one of us would hit play and quote along with it to the point of near insanity. I mean, it became our, you know, our vernacular, really. And he also had the soundtrack and would play it as we went to sleep, which I hated because the score picks up and gets really loud with, and bombastic at times, and that I can't sleep through things like that. So we had to like have to talk <laughs> about that. It's like, okay, we'll watch the movie all the time, but you got to turn the soundtrack off while we're trying to sleep. So yeah, it's in, it's literally I was almost brainwashed with Tombstone. So, <laughs> and you, you you must still know a lot of it by heart. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it comes up in our daily, you know, our daily language here. You know, Cindy was exposed to it there as well, and. And, you know, my kids, even if they haven't seen it, they know some of the quotes from it. And they've seen it here and there. But, yeah, it's it, it's just ingrained in, in all of our collective brains. And my, me and my friends right. still trade back and forth lines. So. And it explains Cindy's laudanum addiction. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Lay off of it, Maddie. You know, come on. <laughs> so if you haven't seen Tombstone, uh, we're about to spoil the heck out of it. But broadly, it goes like this. Legendary Marshal Wyatt Earp, played by Kurt Russell, now a weary gunfighter, 
joins his brothers Morgan and Virgil to pursue their collective fortune in the thriving mining town of Tombstone. But Earp is forced to don a badge again and get help from his notorious pal Doc Holliday when a gang of renegade brigands and rustlers begins terrorize well not begins continues to terrorize the town <laughs> so this was directed by george p cosmatos who's had a very short and checkered career you know like rambo first blood part two but cobra leviathan <laughs> so it's kind of a surprise that this is such a well put together movie that's such an iconic in terms of images in terms of the language it's kind of comes out of nowhere from a director who's not necessarily a name director yeah and i've heard that there was quite a bit of, you know, dissension on the set and that Kurt mm. Russell, you know, rumor has it Kurt Russell directed a lot of this movie. So, and people have said that. So I don't know if that's true, but yeah, maybe he did. I don't know. <laughs> so it's one of those projects where, you know, it doesn't matter who directs because the star is is kind of producing it in a way, right. you know, yeah, like a, like a Jackie Chan or a Tom Cruise, yeah. you know, right. Right. Uh, let's talk about the movie proper, but we do want to get to why Kurt Russell, right? So we'll, we'll get into that. But, I mean, Kurt Russell is obviously great, but what a cast. This isn't just him. Oh, no, no. I mean, this is I mean, this is a fantastic cast. And, and I, I couldn't help, you know, this being on the Fire and Water Podcast Network and me being who I am. Just everybody, almost everybody in this movie has had some role in a comic book-related project. You know, you had Val Kilmer was Batman, Dana Delaney was Lois Lane on the animated series, John Tenney was, who plays Behan, was Hal Jordan's dad, and he was married to Terry Hatcher, who was also Lois Lane. Kurt Russell and Michael Rooker, of course, were in the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise, Sam Elliott was Thunderbolt Ross, Powers Booth was the voice of Gorilla Grodd on Justice League Unlimited, which me and Cindy cover, Billy Zane was the Phantom, uh, and this one is my favorite, Maddie, who we mentioned earlier, she has played... By Dana Wheeler Nicholson, the granddaughter of DC Comics founder Major Malcolm Wheeler Nicholson, and so I'm just like, wow, she's an actress, so that's cool, you know. I mean, unfortunately, she probably didn't get any money from that because he was basically this company was stolen from him uh, early on. But there you go. Plus, you had Bill Paxton, Jason Priestley, Billy Bob Thornton in an early role, Tra Charlton Heston. And even Robert Mitchum as the narrator. So, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even if you take out the, the comic book <laughs> connections, these are all big names. And, you know, like Paula Malcolmson, who has a very small role as, as a Virgil's wife, wound up on uh, Deadwood. Mm. Even though she's Irish, uh, she, you know, she's playing American in these Western shows, you know. Yeah. And it makes it like... A lot of these characters, like you love the, the the ancillary characters. It's not just about Wyatt Earp, who is a very stoic figure. He's not he's not the most <laughs> he's not the most expressive character in the movie. So having such a good ensemble around him, especially the villains, I gotta say, like you know Michael Bean playing a sort of on edge guy, just like in the Abyss, or you know, to me that's his sweet spot. Yeah, I yeah. love Michael Bean and those kind of you don't know what's going to happen because he's he's kind of crazy. Um, and Powers Booth is like the Joker in this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, Curly. Like it's like each of the villains has their own kind of groove, which makes them dissimilar. You know, so so you do have sort of a villain for Wyatt, but a villain for Doc Holliday as well. And you know, there's one of the villains, like the Michael Rooker character. You can tell at the beginning he's not happy with the crimes that they're committing. Yeah. And so eventually he turns. And this is very vaguely based on, I say vaguely, it's vaguely based on the true story. 
it's not history. All the characters are historical characters, or almost all, <laughs> but you know they've been converted. But at the same time, I've I've watched a documentary recently. It's a kind of new one, 2019, called "And with him came the West." So you can hear the similarity with some of the lines here, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Hell's coming with me, and and with him came the West. Yeah, and it's a documentary about Wyatt Earp, the fight at the OK Corral, and how it's been represented in movies. Mm. It's not some of my favorite piece of documentary I've ever seen, but it does use this film. It uses all the previous films that that have covered it, stage shows of it. And one of the things that that comes up a lot is that a lot of this mythology, because this is what the film is. The film isn't history; it's the mythology of the West. And a lot of the, the of this comes from Wyatt Earp himself, yeah. who told this story. Who was just he became this sort of raconteur. Everywhere he went, people knew who he was. Like he went to Hollywood. He went, you know, he went out west. He did marry that actress, you know, and <laughs> he finds his way into this circle, this Hollywood circle, and goes on western sets and acts in as advisor. And people want to hear the story, and he tells the story over and over again, but embellishing it, changing it. Like we don't know who killed Johnny Ringo. Right. Because there are many different accounts from many different people, including White Earp, going back and forth on whether it was him or not. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. so like White Earp himself became the the myth maker of his own story. What was chronicled then and what we know now is is kind of at odds. Is it, you know we don't know what the true story was. So it gives the film a reason to like do anything. Within the confines of what what is known, there are so many contradicting tales that they can play around with it, and I'm I'm fine with it. I don't <laughs> I don't want to watch history. I, I do want to watch myth. I don't know about you. Yeah, I mean, it's there's parts of it that are surprisingly accurate. Like one of the most fantastical scenes in the film that you think, oh, there's no way that happened in real life. That's so Hollywood. When Wyatt just when when the cowboys have them ambushed at that creek. And Wyatt just, no, you know, says no and just runs right, well, walks right toward Curly Bill and he fires at him, never hits him, and he just blows Curly Bill away. That actually happened. I mean, apparently there's a lot of people that claim that wasn't just Wyatt that said that. There was historical evidence to point to the fact, no, it happened that way and he was actually shot all around. His coat was full of bullet holes, but he never got hit. But that looks like something Hollywood would make up. But then there's other things like... They leave out the fact that Wyatt was, you know, arrested for horse thieving and pimping, and he was in, you know, in trouble with the law as much as he was enforcing it. Honestly, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there's there's two Earp brothers, James and Warren, who came to Tombstone but didn't participate in the gunfight at the OK Corral, so they're just omitted from this film entirely. Never mentioned. They don't exist. They yeah. don't exist, and they're no. in some of the. They're in the gunfight at the OK Corral with Burt Lancaster and, and Kirk Douglas. The Kevin Costner film, which I haven't watched in a long time, I feel like that's probably more historically accurate, but it's also boring. So <laughs> this is... That's why I haven't seen it. Yeah, this is far more entertaining, you know. it's it, You know, if, if we say that the Kurt Russell factor is in full effect, <laughs> Dave Campbell was right. Yes, yes. Exactly. Uh, for me, if Kurt Russell is in a film... I will want to see it. I'll gladly see it. I don't care what the subject matter is. Whereas Kevin Costner is the opposite for me. <laughs> like if Kevin Costner is in something, I'll go, uh, I don't know. You know, yeah. I probably don't want to watch it. And I mean, he's got some very good performances. He's been done some very good films. I don't dislike those films, obviously. But I don't know. His, his brand to me has become 
oh, these long, boring movies, you know, the yeah. <laughs> the Postman and, and that Wyatt Earp movie. It's like, I, just, I have no patience for that. I Or I don't know. He doesn't tap into something in me the same way that Kurt Russell does. So... Right. It's interesting. It's interesting that they both played this character like very close together. Oh yeah, it was like a you know a deep impact. Of, what was the other one that came out at the same time? Armageddon. Deep, Armageddon. Armageddon. A deep. I, I can't remember. I, I remember Deep Impact before Armageddon. Good lord. Uh, but uh, <laughs> that's wow. The off-brand one. Uh, but uh, yeah, that came out like like boom boom right one right after the other. Uh, I think this came out first. But, uh, and then, because uh, this came out like yeah. Christmas of 93, and then Wyatt Earp came out in, sometime in 94. But, uh, yeah, and, and you know, as far as the, you know, Wyatt spinning the legend the way he wanted, it, it popped in my head, you know, a, a weird thing to quote, but the, the song at the end of the Muppet movie, you know, life's, my, life's like a movie, write your own ending. Well, Wyatt Earp wrote his, not only wrote his own ending, but he wrote his own history, you know, so. Yeah, it, his own beginning and middle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, and then you have to find, you know, okay, what's the core of this character in any given movie, in any, any given performance? You got to, which, <laughs> what am I playing here? And in terms of mythologizing the West, I do feel that that Cosmatos is doing some riffs on other movies. You know, it's like there's, it, it evokes the Magnificent Seven. Mm-hmm. It evokes Peck and Paw. You know, you get a kid at some point. Uh, in the streets, like okay, okay, kid. <laughs> like there's a, yeah. you know, the kid goes bang, bang. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah. You get out of here. There's just before the the fight. That's like a, a Sam Peck and Puck kind of thing mm-hmm. where you, there's violence, but there's little kids running around. Uh, it's very Peck and Puck. So there's probably other westerns that it it like overtly evokes. Like for the Magnificent Seven, that first scene in the with the cowboys. Oh yeah. In a Mexican village, feels very much like. You know, the problem in the Magnificent Seven. So I think that's done on purpose. I think this is supposed to, like, it's the 90s. We're not doing Westerns very much anymore. So let's do something that harks back to Once Upon a Time in the West. You know, let's, that harks back to those great films that people are going to recognize. Let's steal from the best. Mm-hmm. Part of the strategy here. Yeah. And I think, you know, the way the characters are, like you said, they're, they're painted pretty broadly for the most part. Like you said, all the, all the villains fit a certain, mode like uh and you know like ike is the you know he's a loudmouth, but he's a coward i mean the minute the fight starts he starts whimpering and and i'm pretty sure he soiled his pants when wyatt you know god told him he was going to turn his head into a canoe you know so <laughs> it, the other characters we'll get into wyatt's character but the other characters are kind of in some ways they kind of harken back to an even older hollywood style western you know where you know there were like you're this archetype that's who your character is we're not getting into any nuance you're this character and some of those characters are like that but the actors are having so much fun with it i mean powers booth acts like he's having the time of his life you know so oh yeah and he, he's very he's, he's great <laughs> I, I feel just capital you know you know <laughs> so yeah uh, yeah he's he's, he's and, and a lot of them are their performances are kind of turned up to 11 you know and you know another director might be like hey you know let's bring it down just a little bit but no and i think that's one reason why this movie's so fun is because everybody is like you know it's almost in some ways it's almost got i hate to say this this way but it kind of does have an mtv kind of energy about it it's got that early 90s everything's almost extreme to a point i mean not not in a bad way but just the the broad character strokes are like like really cranked up. <laughs> no, I don't disagree. Actually, the one, the one I'm oh, and there's you know it also starts with the Great Train Robbery where the, you know the, yes. the the cowboy shoots right at the screen, right at the audience. He mm-hmm. uses that, and then later there is actually a shot 
that that shoots at the audience within the film. So it's it's very much harking back, like referencing other westerns. In a way, you're making me think of this is this is kind of the anti Unforgiven. Mm. Unforgiven yeah. comes out like '91. We haven't been doing westerns for a while. Let's do a western, but let's do it with a like a retrospective eye. Let's mm-hmm. let's do it like this is the grimy, and we've gotten a lot of grimy historically accurate westerns since then right it's like the past was gross the past yeah. was dirty let's show that and also show that if you were a gunfighter the toll on your soul you know let's do something that's realistic and naturalistic and and dark and this has those strands in it it's not you can tell like Wyatt Earp shot a man uh, back in Kansas it, it's haunted him ever since he's never shot anyone else until the events of this of this story where he shoots everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and he and he's telling his his younger brother, don't you know, you don't want to be part of this. You don't want to you don't want to shoot a man. You don't want to kill a man. And when uh, Bill Paxton does kill someone, it has it exacts a heavy toll. And you mm-hmm. can sort of tell that maybe the cowboys are broken. The reason they're psychopaths is that they've done this and it's broken them. So there's yeah. that vein, I think of that. And there you know, there is a dirtiness to this western town, like the mustaches and stuff that in old Hollywood, you know, a lot of cowboys just went unshaven. Right. So yeah. it feels more naturalistic, yes. And it's not quite Young Guns. No. <laughs> you know? Which would be MTV. Yeah, that is the MTV Western. Yeah. yeah. So it's in that middle ground, but that I think that's what makes it so entertaining. It's like, yes, we're going to do it a little more realistic, and that's what people expect now, but we're going to play it so big. The events are so big. The villains are so big. The the lines are like James Bond death puns. Yeah. That it has that entertaining. I mean, I come back to this film easily because it is entertaining. It's not like oh, it makes like a statement about frontier America, or, <laughs> uh, and that's fine. But those aren't movies I just want to watch over and over again. But when something is this entertaining, it acts like an action movie, like a great action movie, then I do want to. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's it's kind of a mix of... It's kind of Western's greatest hits in a lot of ways. Um, it's mixing in the Sam Peckinpah, the Clint Eastwood Western with, you know, the Burt Lancaster, the John Wayne, the, you know, all the, 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 the James Stewart and Randolph Scott, Randolph Scott uh, Western's... Uh, you know, and, and, uh, had to do it. Sorry, it's also bringing kind of its own energy of the time with it, and uh, I think I think that's another reason. I think that's all that works, and it's kind of it's kind of interesting you brought up Unforgiven because you know Unforgiven. I remember my dad's a big Clint Eastwood fan, and and when that movie came out, he really liked it. But a lot of his coworkers at the time thought it was they didn't like it they didn't get it basically why is Clint Eastwood making this movie condemning violence basically mm. you know mm. and saying it's ugly and wrong and, and Tombstone kind of has it you're right it has that strand but then at the end it's kind of like it's like ah the hell with it let's just kill everybody you know it's got <laughs> it's kind of got this weird kind of turn which I mean that happens in Unforgiven too but it's not it's still ugly when when Will Money walks in at the end of that movie and kills you know everyone and who he kills and how he kills them it's still ugly. You know, it's yeah. still very ugly. There's a historical necessity to it in a way, because I think if this were pure fiction, the, the, the statement you would make is that when he finds Dana Delaney again, you know, at the end, yeah. she would reject him. Yeah. Like, you're all ugly. You know, that scene where they've killed Billy Zane, they've killed yes. Fabian. She says, you're all ugly. Then when she sees Wyatt again, well, that would have been a rejection moment. And that would have said, like, no, your world is, you know, you're tainted. Right. You're unforgiven. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but we know that in history, they wind up together. 
You know, yes. she she ends up like contributing to that myth and and the, the memoirs and the, the you know the, the biographies of his of his day, etc. She yeah. ends up contributing to that, so it can't happen that way. Right. You know, but <laughs> I mean, Dana Delaney obviously a teenage crush, you know, from Ooh. China Beach on. Yes, I've always felt that she should have had a better movie career. Yes, uh, but she was always in these like strange sexual thrillers <laughs> for some reason. It's like, ah, uh, really, <laughs> Willem Dafoe, you know. So. <laughs> but on TV, she's done better, obviously. Yes, everybody gets some great lines, but Doc Holliday gets the very best, the most quotable moments. What do you think of Val Kilmer in this? You know, Val Kilmer, this is, I, I feel like this, this is his signature role. I, I really do. I feel like, you know, he, you know, unfortunately, you know, due to his health issues he has now, I think, you know, I, I don't know how much more we'll see of Val Kilmer in, you know, in film. And I know Val Kilmer was oftentimes not a very nice person on the set. And I think that hurt his career. <laughs> but yeah, he is at the top of his game here. And I mean, I don't want to go too far into it because this is a Kurt Russell podcast, but a lot of people would say he steals the movie. I, I think Kurt Russell lets him steal the movie because that's his character. His character is the dandy. He is the he's the rogue. He's the the smartass. And and Kurt Russell's Wyatt Earp is, is as you said very stoic. That's his character. He's got a different journey. You know, Val Kilmer can be the, he's the Fonzie and, uh, uh, and Kurt Russell is Richie Cunningham, you know, basically <laughs> of, of this equation. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. That, there you go. That's a good one for you. His lines are, I mean, everybody's, I'm your Huckleberry. That's just my game. You know, everybody knows that. And, you know, we quote things like goofy stuff. I know, let's have a spelling contest, you know, stuff like, you know, things like that just through the movie, throughout the whole Thing. And I think he, but he does bring, there's a tortured underbelly that he brings through that, you know, and he, he explains basically in his, on his deathbed, what his whole deal was, why he was the way he was, because he fell in love with his cousin and then she rejected him and went off to be a nun, you know, basically. So it, it set this uh, path, you know, of destructive behavior for him, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, you, you sympathize with him. You instantly like him, even though our first scene is him you know, cheating and then, you know, robbing a, a saloon, you know. <laughs> so it's <laughs> it's a testament to, to Val Kilmer's, you know, charm and, and some good writing. And I'm, I'm guessing some good improvisation that uh, we love his Doc Holliday. And, and anybody that comes and plays Doc Holliday after him, good Lord. You know, I know, I think Dennis Quaid played him in the Kevin Costner movie, and he was just like, I mean, it was a totally different take, and it's like, well, that's not how Doc Holliday acted. You know, he's supposed to be this, you know, dandy <laughs> smartass, you know. what? What? Who are you, you know? So he, however Doc Holliday really was in real life, this is how everybody thinks of him now. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, it's the, the better version of him. Yeah, right. Whatever right. the truth is, the more literary version, the version from the dime novels, you know, it, it mm -hmm. really is that, that way. And this is a, I mean, this is a surprisingly literate film. For a Western. I think that's mm -hmm. what the actors bring in. I don't mean the actors of the film, but I mean, like, you know, like the, the troupe that shows up in town. Yeah. They bring in a certain literariness that, you know, like uh, Fabian does the Henry V speech. Okay, well, that sort of speaks to the call to arms that we're going to see later. They do Faust. And Dana Delaney is like dressed as the devil. If you shake hands with the devil and you say, well, let's let these villains in and okay, stuff is going to happen. Or you could say, you know, if at the Oki Corral, I kill someone, that's going to bring 
hell. And you, you've also got Johnny Ringo, who can speak Latin exact, just like Doc Holliday. They've become these two faces of a coin. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he's the one that first evokes the pale horse from Revelations. Yes. And then later, without having been present at that scene, <laughs> uh, you do have Wyatt Earp recalling that moment. Hell's Coming With Me is, is that pale horse. Yes. Yeah, right. They're evoking, like, we've done things, we've done bad things, and the retribution that we're going to get from Wyatt Earp, Wyatt Earp is, is God's sword, you know, in those right. in those moments. It's, that's how they're playing it. So that is, whatever happens in real history, here it feels righteous. Yeah, and I mean, they bring up the, the, the one of the lines is, you know, one of my favorite lines that Doc has is, you know, after that scene where he kills Curly Bill and... And one of them says, where's Wyatt? And, and Doc says, he's down by the creek walking on water. You know, uh, mm-hmm. it's, uh, so it's, you know, brings this kind of whole, you know, biblical. <laughs> right. And he says there that it's not revenge. It's a reckoning, you right. know. So they do try to paper over there are crimes being committed here. Yes. Well, we don't want our law enforcement to act like this. Right. <laughs> but yeah. uh, but in this case, it's a mission from God. You know, that's the way they're playing it. It's like it becomes an epic. That's why it's mythic. It's an epic fight between the forces of good and evil. And we have to decide that, yes, the Earps are on the side of good with a capital G. And the Cowboys yeah. are on the side of evil with a capital E, when in reality, it was probably like, all these guys are 'er (laughs) ne'er-do-wells fighting for turf, getting revenge. Like they do say at the beginning, in the narration, Robert Mitchum calls them, the Cowboys are sort of the first American organized crime organization. And it's kind of like that. This is almost a mafia movie, you know? Yeah, yeah, it is. And I mean, you know, and at different times, you know, like, and and that was the way it was in real life. I mean, literally... You know, Behan was, you know, he deputized the Cowboys and they were out like looking for Wyatt, who was deputized by the U.S. But, Marshal. But, and, yeah. you know, there were different law factions literally out hunting each other. I mean, I mean, wow, you know, it's just, it's amazing to think that. But, uh, yeah, and, and the whole, the whole mafia thing is, it definitely comes through. I mean, the way they, the Marshal, Fred White at the beginning, basically, oh, nothing goes on around here without the Cowboys. It's like, this is a mob town. You know, this is, a, this, you just moved into a mob town, guys. So I hope you're okay with that. That's basically what he's saying. You know, it's, it's like, you know, you, you don't bother them. They won't bother you. Just get along. And they, I mean, they tried to, you know, like the first scene where Curly Bill and Ike and, and B and Michael B and Johnny Ringo come up and at the Pharaoh table and, you know, and Ike's like, you know, law don't go around here, law dog and all that, you know, which I love Stephen Lang's great in this he said you just I, I know ike didn't die historically but god you just want ike to get killed by the end of this movie <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah. he doesn't you know he takes his sash off and they let him go which i don't know if i'd do that if i was going to kill all these people random people i think i would have had a bullet for for uh, ike i think I, I think i would have but within that scene you know they're like okay we're gonna try to play it your way and i, I love how things escalate in this movie it does seem like Especially Wyatt, the way that Russell plays him, he really is, I want to put all that behind me, I want to settle down, I want to make a fortune, this is a boom town, we can all be rich, we can all have this idyllic family life where we're all rich together, and all our wives are all, you know, every, you know I'm going to ignore the fact that my uh, wife is, you know, addicted to Lottenham, and everything's going to be fantastic, but then these cowboys walk in, and he's still, he's still trying to maintain this balance and and not teeter over into conflict and of course virgil and virgil especially 
and Morgan kind of, you know, drag him into it. I like that tension. You feel it. And so everything that happens, you know, you can question, well, you shouldn't go around just like randomly killing people because of their fashion sense because they got this red sash on. <laughs> but but uh, uh, obviously they're affiliated with them. I'm just joking. But you still, what happens is earned in the course of the film. So let's talk about Kurt Russell. Wyatt Earp's introduction, I think, says something about the persona that Kurt Russell sort of inhabits in most films. Even if there is a, a wide variety of performance, there's something that is almost common to each, I think. But the that introduction where he, he slaps a guy who was whipping a horse, mm-hmm. I felt like, and this is sort of the exploration in the film in terms of his character, what does it mean to be a man? Or if you want a person, you know, a human with humanity. We're talking about macho kind of films here, so... So, uh, what does it mean to be a man? The the guy who's whipping the horse is not a man. The villains who are assaulting a, a woman in a, in a church, etc., are not men. And you could say, like, anyone who commits these crimes are not real men. And he's sort of showing, I think, Wyatt Earp resisting that urge and resisting the, you know, the compulsion to kill. Uh, and then, of course, he falls into it. You know, he, he does betray himself. I, I feel like he's kind of showing us, the White Earp character is showing us the more positive way to be a man in this in this very masculine world. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's, uh, his performance is, I think, the most nuanced in the film. I think Russell, you know, brings, you know, you, like you mentioned, he's, he's got this weariness to him. There's a restlessness that, that he conveys. I agree, you know, the way that, you know, he's, Showing a, a person take up for an animal is a good way to say, oh, this is the good guy. You know, obviously we know it's Kurt Russell. He's the hero. But Kurt Russell always has that. He's an action star. You know, he's obviously did a lot of comedies, too. But, you know, he remade himself as an adult into an action star. But he always had more of a outward humanity than most of the other action stars. There's a, there's a bit of self-deprecating tinge to him. I mean, everybody keeps going like, oh, you're Wyatt Earp. And he's like, you know, he just kind of downplays it. You know, he's like, you know, he introduces himself to the bartender. He's like, Wyatt Earp. And he's like, yeah, right. You know, Wyatt Earp's already a legend. And he downplays it. And that's kind of Kurt Russell. You know, Kurt Russell kind of downplays, I'm the action hero in this film. Except, well, Jack Burton, he kind of does it, I guess. But for the most part, but in that one, he's not as, in that one, he's not as good as he actually thinks he is in that film. But most of the time, he's kind of unassuming in a way. But then... In the moment of crisis, of course, he steps up, but he's not hes not as showy as a lot of other action stars, and therefore, he's a lot more cool. He's kind of like the guy that you could be, like, friends with, but he's also a badass, you know? He's, he's like, you know, oh, you don't want to mess with, uh, you know, you know, Kurt's just a wonderful guy, but don't make him mad, you know, because, you know, that, he's that kind of guy. He's not like Arnold Schwarzenegger who walks in a room and is like, oh, God, look at the size of that guy, you know, or something. He, he's got that humanity about him. And I think that's one thing he brings to the role of Wyatt because, like we said, the others are painted a lot more broadly. You know his character better than any other character in this film because, you're, of course, it's his journey. It's his, it's his what he wants. He wants this, like I said, this, this life with his family. He wants to make a fortune, hit it big. This is our chance to put all that violence and law enforcement behind us and we're just going to retire here and nobody will let him have it. And then, and you also feel frustrated because there's, in everybody's life, you want something and all these other forces are obviously not going to let you have it. You're not going to get what you want. And so I think that makes him more relatable as well. 
And I have to say that his reaction to Morgan's death, Bill Paxton's character's death, I think that's one of the better, I mean, the way he reacts to his death, I've, I've been there. I've had a loved one die, and I mean, not shot in the back, thank God, but I think I've, you know, I've been in that moment, and it's very real. I don't know if Kurt Russell was reliving a moment he had had with a family member or someone he was close to, but that, that's always got to me because it, it feels very genuine. And I, I think it's a really strong performance. I think you get some of uh, of that in in a different way, but you get kind of some of, some of that in the romance scene in uh, with uh, Dana Delaney in the I don't know they're up on top of the mountain and there's flowers everywhere. It's kind of I don't know. It looks like the there is a Kurosawa film where there's a flower field. Anyway, it looks like yeah. that, and it's just like she's questioning him, like she's very forward. Yes, and she's controlling that conversation. You know, there's jealousy from his wife that where were you and he's spending time with this woman, but there's no sense that he's actually committed adultery, except in his mind. You know, there's no kiss in the in that entire sequence. We don't see anything like that, right? It's just like two people hanging out. Mm-hmm. And it's inappropriate because of the time period. You can't be friends with someone of the opposite gender, I suppose. But that conversation where she's probing him, she's questioning him, and his reaction, he's such a man of few words that his reaction is, is to laugh. It's yeah. like, go these questions, you know, like he he doesn't want to answer. He doesn't want to reveal himself. He doesn't want to make himself vulnerable because that's not appropriate for, for a Wyatt Earp, you know, for that time right. and for that kind of person. But also it's like he's stymied by it. It's like uh, I've, I've never even thought of these ideas. This is all insanity. You you come from a different world and it just feels like that self-effacingness that you're talking about where he's obviously a very charismatic performer. So he's a very handsome man. And I think maybe part of that mystique and why men especially respond to his films is that it also feels non-threatening. He's like, he's the most handsome man in the room, but it doesn't feel threatening mm-hmm. for some reason. It just feels like it's the kind of charisma that you respond to as, oh yeah, I like that guy. Yeah. And in that moment, it's like, he's not the aggressor in the romantic situation. He's actually pretty taken aback. He's not too sure what to do and how to respond to this. It's like, he's the one that's starstruck. Whereas in most other situations that we see in town, other people are starstruck by him. Yeah. Whether intimidated or, you know, as soon as they find out it's it's Wyatt Earp, <laughs> because, uh, oh, 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 geez, you know. Yeah. Like all of the, the bits with Billy Bob Thornton. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah, I love that. I love the, I love the, oh, Johnny, are you still here? You may go now. You know, that's... <laughs> Yeah, I forgot you were here and uh, leave the shotgun, you know, stuff like that. There is that whole scene where he just intimidates him, you know, at the beginning was like, all right, you draw, draw that smoke wagon, you know, (laughs) and he he doesn't because this man is so charismatic, like has a a power over you. I felt like, like I do a lot of role playing games, obviously, and intimidation is a skill that you can use in those games. Oh, gamers should watch this movie because this is how intimidation works. You don't have to be threatening. You can just be cool, collected, say a thing, and people are just like responding to it because they feel your power. They feel that there is an implied threat without you ever having to use that language because very often there there is no language. It's just like, leave the shotgun. And the guy does it. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that, too, I like because that points toward the kind of law enforcement, you know, marshal, deputy, whatever he was in, in Dodge City and when he was in Kansas, how he acted as a lawman before because he tells, like you said, he tells Morgan he was only ever mixed up in, in one gunfight and he killed just one man. 
And this is, of course, the fictional Wyatt Earp we're talking about here. Mm. And I'm making sure there's some historical connections as well. But you get the idea that this is how he controlled situations. You know, he how he handled Billy Bob Thornton. How he initially handled the Cowboys after Curly Bill, you know, killed the Marshal after he was, you know, high on opium. You know, it's of course, he did pull a gun on Ike. But still, I mean, that's how he did it without, you know, opening fire, without... Without escalating things, that's how he managed to only get in one gunfight before. And you kind of feel like, okay, that's his idea of control, and he's very good at it. And he's trying to keep everything under control, and the Cowboys won't let him. And in some ways, Josephine, you know, Dana Delaney's character, she is also, you know, she's throwing a monkey wrench into his, <laughs> into his control of the situation because he is uncontrollably attracted to her and he just wants to avoid her and she's not having it you know she keeps coming at him you know and and like you said i don't think there's any indication that they're actually having any kind of illicit affair but just he's uncomfortable because he's so much more attracted to her than his wife you know and of course the way maddie's paid it i mean you know who would want to be stuck with somebody like that you know i mean so yeah um, Yeah. you know it's 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 a thankless role for her unfortunately but she's you know, she does the best she can with it, but she's obviously supposed to be the anchor around Wyatt's neck to keep him from <laughs> Dana Delaney. So, <laughs> Yeah, and I, I think to come back to the idea that, that maybe we're being presented with the way to be is that in the end, the reason why he does take up arms is loyalty. Yeah. A real man is loyal to his family, to his friends. And that's what we're seeing with Doc Holliday as well. And that's why he eventually, he doesn't respond well to Virgil and Morgan putting on the badge, but it's like, well, now you've given me no choice. Like, you've drawn me back into this world that I don't want any part of, but I have to because it's you and I need to protect you. And Doc Holliday attaches himself to that because he feels the same way about Wyatt Earp. It's a very moral movie, despite the the massacre at the end. (laughs) It's still a very moral movie because it's about asking those questions like, what's important? What's, how do I navigate these moral quandaries? Whether it is the possible affair, whether it is who do I fall in line with, even though I don't agree with the, let's call it the politics of the situation. I'm trying to make a fortune, but the moral universe is pushing me into this more righteous pose. Yes. Yeah, so the, the movie's deeper than, you know, I agree. Like you say, like everybody's kind of broadly sketched in and they are, yes, types and they have roles to play, but it does feel richer than what was maybe on the page. I don't know. You get the personal tension, like between the different characters, like the, which cowboys, like you said, rankle the other, like, you know, Thomas Hayden Church's character, obviously is rankling Doc Holliday, the music lover, you know, you're next, you know, that guy, you know, and he, of course he's the one he winks at and starts the gunfight with and you know ike and virgil you know i like it when he's you know up in his face telling him i'll cut your pimp's heart out and don't you threaten me you little son of a bitch you know that you know, just i think it's like all these people are thrown into this small little community and they cannot they cannot abide each other you know and that's where this kind of this escalating tension comes up if everybody would just like you know kind of you know, and obviously the Cowboys are provoking it because th- there's a shift in power, I'm sure. They, they don't really get into it, but I'm sure the Cowboys felt that shift in power that the Earps moved into their town, you know, because mm-hmm. these are famous lawmen. Yeah, they said, you know, the mayor and, you know, the sheriff or, you know, all, you know, like you know, the mayor's wanting to recruit them. And they're like, nope, we're retired. Don't stop bugging us. You know, we told you no. And I mean, that's why they come over and basically 
you know, investigate, you know, when he, he's signing an autograph to somebody and Curly Bill picks it up, why on earth? And I've heard of you, you know, and, and all that. It's like, they're, they're, you know, they're basically like, okay, we've got some new power players in town and them entering that town has, you know, thrown everything off its axis, but they weren't expecting that to be in this town either. So it's basically like these, these two forces that have decided to, you know, live in the same neighborhood. <laughs> the Sharks and the Jets. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's exactly what it's West Side Story in a lot of ways. Yes. <laughs> because, well, I will disagree. I've agreed with it, but I'll disagree with it as well, that uh, the characters are thinly rendered. Because what I think is the film is actually doing is that we're, we're catching up with Wyatt Earp when he's already a legend, mm. right? And the Cowboys have, are, are already ruling this part of the West. It's a bunch of alreadies. Yeah. And I think what we're exposed to is like, we don't get explanatory scenes. We get thrown into this town the same way they are. And things are said that imply things. There are relationships implied. There are, you know, pre-existing problems within the Cowboys. You know, like, oh, there's like the, this racist comment from Bean about the, the fact that he's uh, part of the um, anti-Chinese league or whatever it is, right? Yeah. You know, nonpartisan. And there is a sort of vague look from, like, there's no response to that from White Earp. There's like yeah. a vague look in his eye, but it's like he's sizing up this guy. And this yeah. guy's a poser. This guy's in the pocket of the mobsters. He's a racist, and nothing is made of this, and it's not part of the plot, but the fact that he says it. This is a town that already has a history, already has these things going on, these politics going on. This guy is part of it, and we already know this guy's an asshole. I didn't mean that they were, like, you know, thin as far as developed. I think I think the actors, the way the characters were written, and especially the way the actors portrayed him, they knew who every character was. I mean, they probably, in the back of their head... Of course, they had a historical fact to look at, but they knew who they were. Like, I feel like John Tenney knew who, who Bean was, you know, Sheriff Bean was, which is, it's because it, I, I keep wanting to get Michael Bean and Behan mixed up in my brain. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, I think I, what I meant was like, like they're, they're just, they're very, as far as broad, they're like, you know, because they, there are so many, it's almost like The Simpsons, you know, it's because <laughs> there's, it's, this is like Springfield. The characters, have to be like, they bring a lot to the character. You get a lot of the backstory of the character in things they say, like like you said about being, being racist. And and you get the fact that, you know, Curly Bill in the Marshall that he kills, Bill White, they were probably pretty friendly with one another, you know, which is like, oh, I'm just funning, Dad. You know, I, I'm only funning, you know, all that stuff. You know, they, they had like a relationship, you know, like they probably ran up against each other before, but it was always kind of amicable the way they split or, or they would have killed this guy. You know, they would have killed the marshal before if he got in their way, you yeah. know. So you get the idea. I, what I was it's like, they've only got so much screen time. We've only got so much run time. So we've got to we've got to hit our character hard, you know, and, and hit you with this is how this character is in the scenes you got. And that's what they do. So that's where I come in with them being at 11, you know. But I, I don't think they're so much thin. I think they're well developed, but they're just... Like, it's like a super concentrated <laughs> version of the character. Instead of thin, it's very thick in a lot of ways. So is this a seminal Kurt Russell film? I, I expect you to say yes, but I mean, it's, it's got so many other characters, so many other performances. You, you, you did say Val Kilmer sold a movie from him in some ways. So, but is this a seminal Kurt Russell film? If you were like, you know, you're doing a festival, Kurt Russell festival, is this going to be on the, uh, on the marquee at that theater? 
does it use his mystique or his screen personality correctly to make it like, yeah, this is a seminal, real Kurt Russell film? I, I, th- I would say yes, and, I, I, and I'll back it up with, with why I would say yes. Because yes, Val Kilmer gets the flashier part. He gets some more memorable quotes, but... Kurt Russell's performance is the heart of the film. It's his journey. It's the story's basically told through his perspective in a lot of ways. Without it, I think the movie itself would be largely forgotten by now. There's a lot of movies that were really popular in the early 90s that no one remembers now. Nobody's talking about them. You know, nobody quotes them. Nobody remembers them. They just kind of came and went, you know, even though they were big box office and and people talked about him at the time. I think he is the rock that this movie is built around, and in his performance allows the other characters and the other actors to take it up all those notches we were talking about. Also, if it's true that he directed a good chunk of this film, then maybe this really is his movie in a lot of ways, and as you said, as the star... It's kind of maybe his movie, even if he never actually directed it. He basically forced the movie into existence the way that it ended up coming out. So I would say, yeah, I think you'd have to come up if you were going to put together a a Kurt Russell Film Festival and you'd left this out. Somebody would say, well, what about Tombstone? You know, so (laughs) I think so. I was thinking, well, the final summation here should be, (laughs) but I feel like we answered those questions. You know, uh, one of the precursors of this show is obviously Podcast La Vista Baby that um, Mike Gillis and Casey Doran do almost done with actually like looking at the Arnold Schwarzenegger filmography. Yes. They've been doing this for years and they're almost at the finish line. I think there's like very few movies left and they usually ask well is X a good movie and then is X a good Arnold movie? So in our in our case the question is is Tombstone a good movie <laughs> if you haven't gotten that drift yet? <laughs> Yeah, it's a good We believe movie. that, yes. And is it a good Kurt Russell movie? Again, we think so for sure. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it, 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 you know, and other people might say, no, it's our listeners, your listeners might write in and say, no, I feel like it's too much of a Val Kilmer movie to be a Kurt Russell movie. But I don't think so because you also, you know, it's 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 an ensemble cast. But Sam Elliott's obviously, you know, and, and Bill Paxton are all also very, very, very good in this film and it's very important in their filmography as well it's important in all four of the leads the male leads it's all it's important in all the filmography so i think it's in some ways it's all their movie because it's an ensemble movie but kurt russell is top build and like i said i think wyatt is obviously the the central character and he's the foundation of the story and it does according to the the sort of screen persona mystique that we've talked about it does well represent kurt russell's work He's the man's man, but the man's man that is a bit self-effacing and not necessarily threatening to other men, mm-hmm. uh, even in the romance department. It is an action picture, but it does have that humanity. I think that's all part of what Kurt Russell brings to the table, as we'll discover <laughs> over the the next months when whenever I do one of these with uh, different guests. So, Chris, thank you for indulging in some WrestleMania. <laughs> with me today. <laughs> well, tell the folks what, uh, where they can find you and what you're working on right now over the network. Luckily, we've got a direct tie-in to Tombstone because right now we're discussing, Cindy and I are covering uh, Justice League Unlimited Season 3 over on JLU Cast, and Powers Booth and his performance as Gorilla Grodd is very important in this season because this is a season where he is leading the Legion of Doom, at the moment anyway, as we, as we cover uh, Justice League Unlimited Season 3. So join Cindy and I over on JLUcast here on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. 
and we'd love to have you. Siskoid Cinema's No Escape from Kurt Russell is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. If you're listening to this and have your own opinions on what we've just discussed, please feel free to head over to fireandwaterpodcast.com to leave a comment. I'll read them on our next episode. And if you like this content, think about visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash fwpodcast. I, I don't have a sign-off for this. I, I can't... Es- it's, it's the show I can't escape. <laughs> I gotta put another Kurt Russell movie in the in the VHS like I'm living in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to know it's over. Well.